Welcome, everyone. My name is Max Medina, and this is Architecture for the Soul. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Oliver Thomas. I'm just going to do a little, a little brief uh, intro from your bio. Oliver Thomas basically is a British architect, currently working as a senior designer technology specialist at Big Bjarke Ingels Group. Oliver is also co-founder of Pixel, an architectural think tank rethinking a sustainable future via the built environment and also Architect Network that is an online platform that aims to foster collaborations, discussing and education resources around the intersection of architecture and technology. Oli, welcome to the show. Hey, Max, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the invite. Of course, today we're going to talk about uh, technology, we're going to talk about architecture, and we're going to talk about all this cool experience uh, of being in big, big architects. Hey, Oli, I would like to know uh, from the beginning, when did you find out that architecture was a career for you and how was your childhood? Yeah, so um, yeah, to go right back to the beginning, I think I, it was one thing that I was super lucky in that uh, I kind of figured out that I wanted to be an architect from a pretty young age. Um, I've always had this, I don't know if it's like a good thing or a bad thing, is I just, I do well at the things I'm interested in and I'm not so great at the stuff I'm not interested in. So at school, I was like really bad at some stuff, but really good at other stuff. And I really gravitated towards, uh, in the UK, we call it DT, design technology. Weirdly enough, that's now my title. I'm a design technology specialist. So maybe I've come full circle, but I was, I always loved that. And for a little bit, I was kind of like flirting with the idea of becoming a car designer. I was like, oh man, that'll be so cool. But then I was like, I just could not draw cars at all. <laughs> and so then I found out a little bit more about architecture. I think through um, my mum was an art and design technology teacher. So she would like take me to galleries and things like that. And I, I remember getting fascinated by like the little models. Uh, they had like some architecture models and things like that. So from a very early age, I think early teens, I was kind of like, all right, I think this architecture thing's for me. And then I just, I've just never really looked back. I've never really, uh, thought of anything else that I would really want to do. And uh, yeah, I went through school and then I kind of, you know, did in the UK, you can kind of choose your A-levels towards the end. So I did A-levels, which I thought was going to be great for architecture, like design technology, and uh, went on to go study architecture and went through university. And uh, yeah, that was the kind of early phase. I, and I think I still look back and I was, I think that was quite lucky. A lot of my friends, you know, didn't know what they want to do for, for ages. Even when they were at university, they were kind of like just studying something and don't really know where this is going, but <laughs> I better get a degree kind of thing. I feel very empathized with you because when I was in, at, at, at the school, I was pretty bad in, well, I know I was not pretty bad actually. Now that I remember, I was good in school. However, I was not interested in anything. And mm. when I started architecture, I find that the architecture was the best thing in the world, basically, because for me, it's like something intangible that is like an idea you can convert into reality. 
And that was yeah. the war for me. It's like, what the hell? You can do this? <laughs> I think I think that is something intrinsically human about creating and building things. I think when you think about it, that's maybe what makes humans unique is that I guess you could argue that like beavers make a dam or something like that. But like uh, humans, we create things, we make things, we make airplanes, we make skyscrapers and things like that. So there's definitely something very intrinsically human about building things and also about architecture. Like, you know, when you say to people you're an architect, I've never heard someone be like, oh my God, that must be boring. Or like people, <laughs> people always like, oh, that is so cool. I wish I did architecture or something like that. Yes. Yes. So for sure. I think and you could be building, making something else, but I think that act of making and building things, there's something in that that's very re rewarding. Yeah. Probably there is something very inside of yeah. our human nature that we love to build things. Exactly. And Talking about cool things, how did you end up at Biakingo's group? And how do you, because yeah. you worked in different companies before Big, and I would love to know more about your experience at Big and how it's worked with, with Biarke. Yeah. yeah, so, um, you know, I, even from university, I always uh, really liked Big's work. I definitely applied a few times before I got in. So for anyone that's watching, it's, it's not like just because you haven't got, got through an application doesn't mean you might not get one later on. And um, so I started off as a, as a regular architect, like a design architect. I went, spent years, competitions, crazy deadlines, all that kind of stuff. At the time I was working in Hong Kong. So it was very, very intense projects. And I really enjoyed that. And I still spend a lot of my time designing today. But I got to a point where I'm like, I'm designing all these things. I'm using Grasshopper to design them. But I, if I'm honest, I don't really know how they're built. I'm, I'm making these things, but I don't quite know uh, like the parameters of how they get built. And that's when I came across Front, who is like a facade consultant, consultant firm, but they have this computational specialism about them. And again, I'm not like a diehard facade guy but it was seemed super interesting. They were working with loads of really amazing architects, all the architects you could imagine, really interesting projects. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to learn how these amazing projects are built, but also using computational tools like Rhino and Grasshopper, et cetera, et cetera. So then I, I, I just followed my interest. I didn't kind of create a path that I would become this type of architect. I was like, okay, I think I've got this designing thing. I've got some experience designing. Let's go and find out how you actually build stuff with technology. Spent a few years working for Front and I was lucky enough to work on some amazing projects like the uh, World Trade Center with Rex Architects, their Performing Arts Center, uh, the Seattle Space Needle refurbishment. Spent a lot of time working on the Zaha's uh, Morpheus Hotel and this crazy- oh, sick, man. Crazy. Uh, Actually, yesterday I, I was think... seeing the grasshopper <laughs> sheet <laughs> of, of that building. Is, it's crazy. Yeah. It's I like mean, the, the Zaha scripts <laughs> to create it is crazy. And then our scripts to uh, detail it and make the bin model of how it's going to be built was just like, it's not one script. It's like literally hundreds of scripts. But um, yeah. And then, and then I was kind of, you know, after a few years doing that, I felt like, 
you know, I wanted to go back into the architecture world. I was kind of like solving a lot of different architects problems. And I thought, oh, let's go and work for someone that I really connect with and really appreciate. And to be honest, at that point, I was still like, should I go back as a designer? Should I go as some kind of specialist? And I was interviewed at a few places and a big was definitely top of my list. And I went in and had an interview for both as an architect and as a specialist. And the specialist thing just seemed like it was a, might be more of an opportunity. There seemed room to grow. And um, so, yeah, I initially joined as a BIM specialist. I joined the BIM team in New York. Uh, but the BIM manager at the time, the BIM director, Jan, was kind of super open about um, also utilizing other skill sets like computational design and kind of bringing that to the office a little bit. And since joining BIG, it's been a great experience. I have a really unique position where I get to work with many teams at any one point. So I, BIM is still my bread and butter, like my kind of day-to-day -day stuff. I'm helping the teams out transition from the concept stage into schematic where we come into Revit and things like that. Um, so I'm working with teams on a day-to-day -day basis, one foot in the team, but then the other foot is outside of the team and I'm kind of, I'm helping out with early stage computational stuff, um, teaching Grasshopper, Revit, Rhino Inside, all these tools That's amazing. In, in the office. And I'm also testing out new technologies that I think will, will be useful in the office. Like right now it's kind of been augmented reality, virtual reality, that kind of stuff and seeing how that fits into the, you know, design process in big. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been a great experience. It's coming up for three years since I joined the, the office. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible environment to work in. It's the, the culture that Big and, and people like Bjarke and Kai and, and the other partners. Did you interact really with, with Bjarke a lot? To be honest, no. Bjarke is the design uh, partner. Of course, like when those worlds overlap, like there's some kind of design uh, direction we want to convey through some kind of uh, technology. We will interact with the with him and the design teams. But there's certain there's you know big is made up of a number of partners. Um, Bjarke is the design partner, and um, there's other partners that focus more on technology. But so yeah, Bjarke is very much um, kind of driving every single project, like keeping the tabs on on all the design teams. So. It's occasional, it's not, it's not. There's other partners that we interact with more in uh, the, text, the tech what, side. And what do you personally, is your opinion about BRK? I will tell you mine. For <laughs> me, is the best architect of the world right now. And is basically a role model of how you can deal with an um, architecture business in the world because he, he for sale this guy is absolutely amazing he's like a machine of selling things and 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 sharing ideas and that i think that that's a unique aspect of biaka of course his architecture and how, how, and the way that he conceptualizes the ideas and to, to convert it into reality it's absolutely amazing he is basically a leader that can move forward architecture into other levels this is my opinion. Um, what is yeah. your opinion on your side that you basically have more interaction that, with him? That... <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I would definitely agree that he's a, 
the way I maybe describe him is like he is the inspirer of the office. Like when he comes to the New York office and he often gives a presentation about either a project or whatever is on his mind at any time, you come away from those meetings just like so, <laughs> so inspired to work on whatever you work, you know, like what's coming down the pipeline and in that kind of stuff. So he is really that kind of um, the inspiration, the vision, the, the driver behind, which which is super important. I think um, I've, I've talked about this before, but it's like a, a company is really just you uh, gathering a group of people around a you know shared vision, right? And the better, the, the more successful you are at communicating that and inspiring people to come work for you, the more, like the better the talent is that comes to join you, right? And I think that's a huge part of what, that's one of the many things that, that Bjarke has created. And it's also not only Bjarke, like Kai is also, a, when you start working at a big, especially in the New York office, Kai is a huge character in creating that culture as well. And he's, he's amazing to work with uh, as well. And, and through that, you then create this, this culture and this group of people where everyone is like, uh, I think everyone that I work with is, is super interesting. I find them, you know, very insp inspiring from all levels, from interns to, to senior architects, to partners. Um, and, there's, and that's why there's also this talk about uh, being a bigster. You, when, you, when you join big, you become a bigster. <laughs> and which <laughs> sounds a little bit corny, but um, I, like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, and uh, it's also, you know, you also get this question of, of do you see this person as a bigster? And I think it's it's that part that's a little bit hard to describe and and uh, you know get across, but it's like, are they gonna fit into this to this culture? And I think that's what Bianca created and and the other partners together with Bianca continue to create. Um, and then of course, yeah, I think. The architecture side, um, you know, for me, the um, uh, what am I what am I thinking of? The ski slope in Copenhagen, um, that project, to me personally, that is the true essence of what architecture is. Like you can you can turn a recycling factory into a ski slope that people yes. can use. And it gets we'll built. See. That's a huge thing because a lot of people can come up with that idea or, or maybe come up with that, that idea. But to actually get it built, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. And to me, I think that is what, um, you know, why you want to become an architect. That is the goal of every architect to build this incredible world around us. And, the you know, the idea that you can put a ski slope on top of a recycling center is, uh, is, an, is an inspirational product in itself. So. Actually, that's one of my favorite projects um, that basically mountain that you can play with it. And it's also a factory. Yeah. And I think that like Norman Foster said, as an architect, you designed for the present with the awareness of the past for a future yeah. which is essentially unknown. And I think the big part of that is technology. And now I would like to talk about that because technology and architecture are always connected. How do you yeah. see that in this, the future in, in terms of that overlap? Uh, I would love if you can share with us, for you, what is the latest technology in architecture right now? Yeah, so 
I get excited about te technology in two, in two different ways, or I see uh, architecture and technology overlapping in two ways. And this applies for like my personal view and also, you know, within big. Uh, and that is one, the technology that we use as architects to design things. So things like computational design, BIM, 3D modeling, rendering, all these kind of things, right, which uh, enhances and allows us to design these amazing things, these amazing buildings. But then there's also the technology that actually influences design, right? So uh, how will the automation of cars reshape our cities? Uh, how will vertical farming be integrated into our cities or maybe even the um, suburban um, suburban fabric, um, you know, how will 3D printing is a technology that directly changes the typical typology of a house, right? And you can see that's one of the things uh, we're working with Icon, for, for example, um, on, you know, Icon are a 3D printing company, for those of you who, who are unfamiliar with it. And we are building new homes here on Earth, but also the Moon and Mars, which is pretty cool. Um, so I definitely, I cannot give you one technology I'm excited about, but I am super excited to be an architect in this period because I think the, all the, the technologies you see that are available now or even on the horizon, I think, um, you know, don't forget we also, our industry as, as pure architects is also ripe for innovation, right? Yeah. I think the business model of architecture practice um, is something I'm really kind of questioning. Uh, and then when you zoom out a little bit more to the AEC industry and the, you know, the construction industry, I keep saying this statistic, but is one of the few industries to actually decline in efficiency. So over the, in the last like decade or so. So we're building slower now <laughs> than we were a few years ago. And buildings yeah. are getting more complicated, but the way that we build them is not really evolving at the same pace so for sure and you can also see this in like these venture capitalist firms and now from silicon valley are looking over and being like hey what's this what's this building industry over there it's like yeah. it's a huge industry and there's not as much in it. there's still a huge room for improvement and room for disruption and so I think it is a really exciting time. And whilst technology is not, not like the silver bullet, it's not the, the magic uh, solution to solving, you know, problems in the architecture industry or the construction industry, I do think it is a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, and for me, yeah, there's a combination of different things. Like 3D printing is exciting. Yeah. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Uh, a few years ago, if you'd asked me about that, I would have been a bit more hesitant. Like, I don't see us 3D printing substantial buildings for a long time. Yeah. But yeah. then when you see companies like Icon 3D printing, branch technology, printing homes today or facade elements today, then you realize, okay, this is actually moving a bit faster than I thought. Yes. And, and I think that the, the future of building is 3D printing. And at least not for the full the full building, but for for a few elements that you can overlap into your building and, and make and create unique things. I saw uh, uh, in July I saw the, uh, a new that own studio and big basically invest in a, a spin form that 
it's a virtual workplace for architects in oh, yeah. real time, uh, meetings, presentation platforms, uh, developers, designers. Do you, have you been involved in that? What do you th think about that? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the kind of project that I um, would be involved in, have been involved in, and like from the technology side and trying to find out where what projects we can use it on. So yeah, that's a that's a collaboration with us, uh, Squint Opera. Uh, I think UN Studio is also involved, and uh, it started off as like a very grand vision of this um, this virtual environment that we could communicate over as architects. Um, I think the idea kind of came around um, when uh, don't quote me on this, but like when <laughs> Bianca was and all like the teams were working with uh, with um, Squint Opera, and and you know we were holding up a, a sketch onto the webcam as I'm doing now and we thought there must be a better way for us to communicate architecture <laughs> than this. Sure. Like, or like through you know when you think of, we spend all this time create, designing this 3D thing this building in this virtual environment whether it's Rhino, Grasshopper, uh, Revit, SketchUp whatever it is it's a 3D environment but then we we communicate them through a flat screen or yeah. like a maybe at most the animation typically or 2D images and renders and stuff like that. So virtual reality, I think, allows us as architects to um, create a higher bandwidth of communication. You can now try and uh, get a sense of what it might be like to actually stand in that space. Which yeah, that, I think is, that's, that's the war, man. Imagine yeah. be like Star Wars with a guy <laughs> just appearing <laughs> next to you and yeah. you're talking. The guy, <laughs> and and that's I mean like a lot of architects have a VR headset in their office, now and, and we can use tools like Enscape and just put it on. What what uh, Spaceform is is like a more of a setup platform where you can kind of combine this Zoom meeting type environment, um, and you can also set up, so you jump into this virtual meeting room. You can set up the room to look like your office's room or like, you know, you can pin up materials, a little 3D model, and it's kind of centered around a table, which has this digital model on it, which you can animate and, and talk about. So you can present the model and, and, sorry, not the model, the idea, your concept around the table like you would normally do. Yeah. But then you can also click in and you're in the city or in the building or whatever it is and that's amazing um, you play so with the scale of the things it's it, a platform it. where we can communicate as architects on a way higher bandwidth uh in fact we've you we've used it on a few projects now and especially i didn't even talk about the new world that we live in of you know increased online uh, interaction yeah. after the covid or we're still in the, the pandemic i guess Yes. We're still we're still in this environment of working from home, and you know, you and I right now are interacting. Yeah. We are in, we are actually right now in a digital space, uh, and yeah. actually, yeah. I would like to 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 get go into that because I think that architecture is going into digital spaces, online communities. I think that are the future. Right. For example, what when we was talking about the space form, for sure. I will have to use it. <laughs> it's like I work. I work for Lava Laboratory for Visionary Architecture, and we are based in the different studios mm -hmm. in the world. So basically, I have a very good connection with Sydney, 
in Australia and Vietnam. And I never met these guys. I have a chat with them in, in Skype and we chat a lot of, uh, but it's very difficult, you know, interact with yeah. ideas and interact with, with clients in all the parts. And I think that online communities are the future because we are getting into more these spaces of remote works. That basically yeah. you work for very remotely places and you, 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 with that possibility, you get the possibility of getting a, a, a connection with clients in a very yeah. inside way, in a very deeply way. And, and to be actually, I don't know if called physical or I don't know how to call it, but it's basically these digital spaces that you can interact yeah. into digital uh, platforms. And actually, even this podcast is, is a digital space when you discuss ideas, when you interact with architects. My idea with this podcast basically was having conversation with this about these topics that you are topics that, that you can find in architecture world. But more of that connection in online platforms that you can be, feel very deeply and you can feel that yeah. for the ones that are listening can be with us talking about uh, architecture stuff. And yeah. you have a platform like this, right? That is called Architect Network. Can you talk yeah. me about that? The Architect Network, yeah. We, we'll come back to the virtual worlds because there's, there's stuff in there we'll get into. But uh, yeah, I think... Um, I set up the Architect Network towards the beginning of this year um, for exactly the same reason, really. I, I, feel, I felt that whilst I am a, a design technology specialist, uh, I, I really just consider myself an architect that is very dis, digitally fluid, right? And a, a tongue-in-cheek term for that I came up with was an architect, right? You're, you're an architect, yeah. but you also have that technology side. And... <laughs> That is the first thing that I realized. <laughs> we've we've had it really mixed. Like some people love the name, some people hate it. They just don't get it. <laughs> Architects. Architect network. So um, I love it. And and one of the, the reasons why I set it up was I could see technology is has the good and bad. There's pros and cons of it in our industry. Like on one hand, I'm seeing all the good stuff of you can become a more informed architect. You can utilize the power of this guy in front of you or this, this thing in front of you, your computer, to help you create amazing architecture, right? But you can, I can also see that there's a huge gap between university and practice, not only just in the technology side, you know, in a lot of aspects, but Specifically, students are coming out, and then they're they're often not really taught the programs they need to get into an architecture practice, yes. or they're being taught stuff more from the animation world that's very experimental and and is great. But when you get into a, a practice, they're like, I can't really use it unless you're incredible at it. But you, you might just become like a visualization person. Yeah. So there's this gap in university. There's a hugely slow adoption in the industry to adopt technology. Like we're still talking about whether to adopt BIM or specifically Revit. Revit is 20 years old. <laughs> we're still discussing whether it's going to yeah. be the future or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, a, a, a lack of adoption, there's a, this growing gap between uh, university and practice. And also, you know, 
you can find a million videos on Bianca, Zaha, Foster, all this kind of stuff, talking about design, but there's not that much conversation around technology and architecture. Yeah. So because of those things, we I, I founded the Architect Network along with another colleague from BIG, and we just started this by having podcasts exactly like this, uh, but on Clubhouse, which is a, a new app. In fact, you, you, you should come join us Sunday. We're going to be I would talking- love to. I would love to, Extra, 100%. We're going to be talking about extraterrestrial architecture with Big's in-house space architect. Man, so, that's my favorite topic. I'm going to be go. there. <laughs> there you go. Sure. You can follow, if you look out on my Instagram or look up architect underscore network, you can see all of our latest talks and stuff like that. So we started with just uh, having discussions on, on Clubhouse because it was super easy to get started. And in... I think January or February when we started, it was like everyone was talking about Clubhouse. So we were like, this this looks like a cool way to get this thing going. And then um, I'm this weekend, like I'm in the process of, I've been recording, I'm becoming a YouTuber, which sounds uh, really strange to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like at 33 years old, it's like an early, an early midlife crisis, right? I'm becoming a YouTuber, but I thought, you know, the whole goal is to try and get conversations, learning resources to as many people as possible and make it as accessible to pos as possible. Of course, it is, a, it is going to be a business. So, you know, uh, we do need to generate a revenue to pay great people to come and teach and stuff like that. But initially, we're starting with these free talks, the YouTube channel where I'll be making videos on on topics like what's the best software to, to learn coming out of university, what is Rhino inside and what is computation, yeah. all these kind of things, which we'll be soon releasing on Architect Network on YouTube. And then the, the kind of third stage is an online platform where we'll be creating in-depth online courses, how, you know, Rhino one-on-one, -on -one, Grasshopper one-on-one -on -one, from people like myself. I mean, at the beginning, it will be mostly taught by me. Uh, from the perspective of working in practice for almost yeah. 10 years. Yeah. So I'm not going to be teaching. I, I am already excited. That sounds very <laughs> cool. You show I'm up not on TikTok be teaching. account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TikTok, I don't know if I'm ready for TikTok. Yet. <laughs> it's already me, hard enough. I will give you one year. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. If, if you ever see me doing dances on TikTok, then just delete me. <laughs> delete me. <laughs> I'm already uh, cringing at saying like like and subscribe. To my YouTube <laughs> I'm that guy now. I'm that guy. By the way, but, hey guys, subscribe. <laughs> yeah, and subscribe to his channel and subscribe to both of them. Yeah. <laughs> but Man, but in a in a weird way, I you know as a technology, if I am a digitally fluent uh, architect, this is the way that we communicate things, right? This is yes. if I want to make a an impact in the industry through teaching. I could go and teach for the best university in the world. I could go and teach at Harvard or, or Columbia is literally down the street, but I'd only be teaching like, I don't know, 100, 200 people that are very privileged enough to go to university and yes. especially in the US where it's, it's really expensive. Yes. Or I could go onto YouTube and potentially Thousands of people can watch that video as long as they have an internet connection. That's who knows, freedom, if, anyone, who knows if anyone will actually watch it. But <laughs> uh, oh no, for but, sure I, I would be watching. <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, one one student. The thing we is that I think that this centralization of education is is a key 
of the future. Yeah. We was talking that in the first episode with Mariana Cabogueira. Uh, mm. We was talking about decentralization because she, I think that she, you, you know her. She, yeah, yeah. she worked with Saha Hadid and she has these online courses. And, and she, we was talking exactly the same thing, how the education needs to evolve and be yeah. more accessible for, for all the world not just for the people that go to university civilly. Especially now in, you know, I, li I live in America, I'm in New York right now, but, you know, Amer university here is very expensive and it's, yes. unfortunately, it's become like a, a way for people to make a lot of money. Um, and you can come out of university with a lot of debt and all this kind of stuff. And is it preparing you for the future you need? That depends what university you go to. But not, not that, I, you know, universities are a bad thing. I, you know, it's still great to go to university. Yes. yes. But we're seeing that you can supplement that education with online resources, or if you don't have accessibility to come to these places, these universities, yes. uh, you can still ac access it. Like there's huge communities around the world. Like there's a huge community in India that is really interested in architecture. And you could argue that, those young architects in India in a country that's like booming with people and, and like there's a growing middle class, they are going to have more effect on the world's, uh, on the, you know, creating a sustainable future as architects than, you know, than the West coming over there. So, you know, if, if I can just teach a little bit about the technology side, just my little niche of architecture and technology and talk about all these different things, AI, blockchain, yes. you know, computation. What all? What are all these things, and why should we care as architects? Man, that that's amazing. And talking about that, what do you? What will you choose as the most essential tools in terms of programs of modeling and those kind of stuff for architects that should know at this modern moment in 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 the era that we are. So. Um, we could go through the, 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 my basic outline. I would say, if you're a student, I would, you know, of course you want to be, you want to have a good grasp of some 3D modeling platform, uh, 3D modeling software uh, that you would design in. And I would hazard it, uh, based on my experience, those two things are either Rhino would be my number one and SketchUp, although I'm not a huge SketchUp fan anymore, I, you know, it is a very used piece of software. Of course, you've got more niche stuff like Maya and, and uh, Blender and this kind yeah. of stuff, but Rhino and SketchUp are the, the, the two, you know, most common ones. I would recommend Rhino because I think it's the most versatile. You can do yes. a lot of things in Rhino. Yes. Um, starting to learn a little bit of the computational side. So Grasshopper would also be my recommendation. Uh, a lot, a lot of the younger generation are already coding in some way. So, if you're also learning to code, I think that's great. But just maybe understanding what Grasshopper is, and maybe just playing around and, and understanding yeah. that is when you come out into university is super important. Um, BIM, of course, I have to, you know, as a BIM guy, I have to recommend, uh, you know, learning Revit, for example. Revit is still the most widely used BIM platform. It is not. The greatest piece of software, <laughs> like, yeah. even though I use it every day, it's, it can be very frustrating. But here's the other thing: is a lot of firms do look for that skill set when hiring. So, yes. Uh, yes, whilst I understand, you know, we all want to be that design architect coming out of university and creating all these amazing ideas. 
um, having that skill set is also really important. And of course, there's visualization. There's this new era of real-time rendering, Enscape, Twin Motion, Luminon. Three, one of those three is uh, either of those three is a great one to learn. You know, of course, you've then got Photoshop and InDesign yeah. and Illustrator and that kind of stuff. So I would, you know, try and create, uh, try and look into those things or understand what they are. Gravitate to the one that interests you the most. If you want to design, uh, you want to be a designer, I would say focus on Rhino and Grasshopper, right? If you're, if you're maybe more interested in becoming a technical architect and detailing and things like that, Revit's going to be a great tool for you. Uh, if you're really into visualization or maybe animation, that's also great. And, you know, it's great to understand these. Go, to, go towards the one that interests you the most. And, you know, the one thing you can come out of university with is you can't come out of university with that much experience. Like, yes. unfortunately, experience is experience. You can't buy it. You can, it's just like you can do a few internships. Some places don't even count experience till after your master's or whatever, like postgraduate experience. But you, so you can't really come out with that much experience from university, but you couldn't, you can come out with a little technology superpower. You could be a bit of a grasshopper yes. whiz. You could be a, a bit of a Revit whiz, although it's hard without having that experience in practice. You could come out as like an animation uh, uh, with like this animation superpower and be like, Hey, I could come to your firm. Yeah, I could be a, a designer. I can be an architect, but I could also do these cool little animated diagrams for you. And it just gives you that little superpower yes. that you know someone else might not have. So, yeah, I wouldn't get you know, like as a student. Don't feel like, man, I need to learn all of these programs at once. Yeah. <laughs> Understand what they are and what they're used for. Right? Grasshopper is not just about creating crazy buildings <laughs> it can be used for a lot of other things um and and gravitate to the one that interests you the most i think yes i am um, i i think that uh, in terms of programming there is a huge gap especially in in latin america pro in latin america academia that students are not getting all those latest technologies and yeah. i think that architecture is a career that we need to keep updating all days because we're going to stay behind. And I would like to talk about one philosophical topic. How do you see robots can replace architects in the future? Do you see that possible? <laughs> and, and, I will tell you, and I will tell you one thing that there is a project of Saha Hadid that actually is a project with, with Prospera. Uh, and it's the first step of using artificial, artificial intelligence in our, into architecture. It's basically... It's an online platform that this guy created and with Unreal Engine. And this is a platform that you basically design your condo or apartment or whatever. And this is creating the shape of the building. And that shape can go into other blocks to do a, a, a correlation into yeah. a, a whole community. You can like, of, it's like Sims. You can build yeah, your own. It's exactly like Sims. Exactly yeah. like all these games. Uh, and it feels like a game. Do you see yeah. that in the future that artificial intelligence can replace architects? So I agree with the statement that designing or architecture will become more and more influenced and more and more similar to video games. I'll come back to that in a second. But AI 
I don't know if that project uses like that deeper AI. I think if they are using it, it's to solve problems, right? To, to solve conditions. But it's not like, I don't think anyway, it's like you hit, a lot of people think AI and architecture is like you hit a button and this computer designs the whole thing, right? Yes. Yes. In Especially theory, the clients. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In theory, that could, that could happen. Do I think it's going to take over architecture? No. But we do have to be uh, wary of it because whilst we're in a bubble of design, creating these like crazy buildings, um, there's other guys like the big tech companies that are making these tools and developers are like, wow, I can, I can just get rid of the architect and, <laughs> and like hit this button or go on this website. <laughs> and don't forget that like, you know, the number of buildings that architects design is not that high. It's like, you know, I don't know what the exact number is, but 10%, 1% of buildings around the world are actually designed by an architect. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so I, I think it's more a case of like how AI will help us automate the things that we don't necessarily need to do. And that will create probably much smaller practices. Yes, I think some people will, will um, you know, maybe lose out jobs. Like look at an architecture practice back in the day, you'd see a, a warehouse, <laughs> like a whole level of people drawing, yes. right? Now you see a cluster of 50 people around computers, yes. computing, <laughs> whatever, is the, is the next step that 50 people goes down to like 10 and we're doing the same amount of work whilst harnessing the use of computation, AI and machine learning, these kinds of things to, to streamline things like building code whilst I'm designing, you know, this, this, uh, AI plugin to Rhino or Revit or whatever is telling you, hey, it's like Mr. Clippy. You remember Clippy from uh, yes. from Word yeah. that was like, hey, yes. are you making a CV? <laughs> it could be the same thing, like you know, your door's too small or something like that. And because of that, you don't need as many people checking your drawings and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm less, whilst it is possible, look, you can create a program that reads a brief, picks out keywords, Yes. You go online and what do, what do we do as architects? We go online, we take inspiration from images. We go and work for firms like big and we learn from, from those people about design sensibilities. That can, also, that can all be taught. That's called machine learning. Um, and then you have a problem. You have this series of parameters that you, the site, the budget, context, um, and you stitch them together to create a solution. Now, I, you know, I think it would take a very long time for that solution to be compelling for, you know, as a, you know, how do you add that human centric uh, element to it? In the same way, we also um, really applaud anyone that thinks uniquely or outside of the box yeah. and a computer would think incredibly uniquely like, like no one we've seen before. So they could be a genius or it could be like a yes. horrible blob of stuff. So I'm not, I'm not as like, you know, pessimistic that the AI is coming and we're all going to lose our jobs. <laughs> I think it's more like automating out the stuff that we don't need to do um, so that we can concentrate on where we do add value, which is uh, creative problem solving. 
but I do also see that maybe this would not necessarily AI, I guess, but technology will also allow us to expand beyond uh, what we typically do now and maybe reconnect with the act of construction. So rather, yeah, yes, we may lose, um, or maybe not, I wouldn't say we, we won't lose it, but like I could start a firm tomorrow that's maybe smaller, a group of people that are very architects that are very like skilled, but, and so I'm not hiring as many people, but instead of just designing things and here's a bunch of drawings to, to some contractor, I can actually plug my computer into a machine and hit print. And then that thing starts building. Right. So yes. it's I, a, it's, I see it as a tool and I am a big fan of technology, but I see it that our first tool is our hand and how we can sketch uh, through, how we can create this process to, through your mind, pass to your soul, and that to your hand, and that yeah. from a sketch. And at the end, that's a tool, you know, but, and I see uh, technology as a tool to create unique, unique things, but the most valuable thing that you can uh, bring to the table is you. How is your idea changing? How is your perspective about the things? How is your perception about the reality? And all those kind of uh, interceptions and, and all those, those kind of unique things that make you uh, special is yeah. what you are, you are bringing to the table to, to, to bring value into to this new process of creation. And I, th I, th I do agree. And I think that's what I'm, I'm excited about in the future is like, instead of huge architecture firms where 800 people work for ACOM or IDAS or whatever, you, what we'll see is maybe more smaller architects that are able to do big projects, but will have more variation in the market. So there'll be many, many little big, big firms um, that can do these things, which will make a more interesting you know, environment around us. We'll have uh, loads of different buildings from different small architecture firms. Um, I, I did have a point. I've totally forgotten it now, but <laughs> but um, yeah, no. I think it's it's not so much about that we're gonna. I think architecture firms firms will get smaller, but we as architects will get more teched up. Yeah, and architects. New, yeah, we'll, yeah, architects. It will present new opportunities for us. Um, but as, here, here's the point I was going to make. I do agree with you that many of the tools that we use today are, many of the technologies are tools, right? Rhino is a tool, Revit is a tool and all this kind of stuff. But there is a moment where your computer or, or whatever it is you're using goes beyond just a tool, right? And that's particularly when you get into the world of maybe even Grasshopper, if you create a script that, that populates the building for you, is that, are you now a collaborator? Is your computer now a collaborator? And here's the interesting thing. What if you get to a generative design where it's still very humanly connected, right? Even though with generative design, you kind of, the computer's processing a lot of information for you, you still come up with that process, but you, you are not able to come up with that solution without your computer, right? Or without your script, yes, or without whatever you're using. So is your computer now becoming a collaborator, right? So now uh, I think 
Greg Lynn once said that it was like 51% him, 49% his computer. <laughs> if, I, if I hire uh, an intern, right, and I ask them to make some, um, let's think of something, like to model this, this uh, sketch for me, exactly, just model it and, and work it out. Or I create a script that does the exact same thing. You would say the intern is a collaborator, but you say that the computer is a tool. So just as a fun like debate, at what point yeah. does your computer can become a collaborator? I do agree that most architects use your computer, your software, whatever, as a tool, but there is a point where it can become a collaborator. That's a good topic for your channel. Is, <laughs> <laughs> is computer a collaborator or a tool? Yeah, that's a great one. We, we should have a computer collaborator <laughs> or tool. Friend or foe. <laughs> Man, we, we are uh, getting to the, the, the final question to, to, to the show. And I will, I will love, I was ready to talk about moon and all those kind of things, but I will leave it for all the people that are interested in that architecture, go to your channel and hear about it. But I would like to ask you one thing. Um, the dream is getting real, right? Like we are designing other planets. That's amazing. Will you live in, in, in Mars? If you have the opportunity, will you do it? I mean, right now I'd say yes. I, I signed up for uh, the moon project thing. So I guess I've, I've kind of got a part of it. But who knows? Yeah, of course, that's tempting for me. I'm, a, I'm an architect, but I'm also a traveler, right? I, yes. I, I left the UK almost 10 years ago now. I love, you know, traveling, exploring. My dad and his granddad were like part of the Navy. So we have that kind of uh, nautical, adventurous side. But the reality is, I guess, I don't know what age I would be when I could go to the moon, to the to Mars, for example. Um, you know, it would be hard to do that, knowing that uh, when Elon Musk says the first few people that are going have got a very low chance of surviving. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you for being positive. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I would definitely be tempted to. Yeah, uh, and hope you know. I think in my lifetime, like going to the moon for a quick holiday or something would be possible or yes, will be yeah. possible, which is super exciting. You think of, you know, my, my grandparents, um, they uh, lived in Hong Kong for a bit when I was, I wasn't even, I didn't even exist. My mom and dad didn't even exist. But, uh, they moved to Hong Kong. My mom was actually born in Hong Kong. And when they, they got there by, a, uh, by boat, right? So imagine going from Liverpool to Hong Kong on a boat, <laughs> which is wow. a, long, a long way. And uh, my mum was born there. And then, uh, you know, I think it was 50 years later, I got one of my first jobs and moved out there. I flew out there on a plane. I was out there in like, you know, 10, 11 hours, whatever it was. So... You know, what are my kids or my grandparents, my grandparents, grandkids, um, you know, are they going to get to Hong Kong via the, um, what's it called, SpaceX, like, hop, where they'll be there in, like, half an hour? Teletransportation. Like, yeah, yeah. Or, like, some Hyperloop that goes all the way around the world. That might be a bit far from the Hyperloop. But, um, yeah, or, or will they be, like, having a cheeky weekend on the moon? Yes, <laughs> it'd probably be a bit expensive still, but but um, 
you know, equally though. Yeah, let's dream about it. Uh, at the end, I think that it will be possible and we, we're going to live that time. And I agree with you what, what you said at the beginning. It's amazing to be an architect at this time. I agree yeah. with that. It's absolutely amazing. And it would be great to be the first architects on the Mars architect would be would be yes, achieve, would sure. be tempting unfortunately the let's, the, let's open a studio there yeah <laughs> unfortunately the the kids that flew up with jeff bezos and kind of went into space he's also called oliver so yes. he's already the first oliver in space i think so yes <laughs> he's already taken that <laughs> and he, <laughs> we'll wait for the first architect we'll see who it is but yeah i mean it's very tempting but we'll see who knows oh, when it will happen uh, it's, it's 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 a game you know and for the final question it's a stole question from tim ferris podcast and it's about the billboard question if you have the possibility to put an image a sound uh and the slogan or video whatever you want in all the billboards in the world for one day what it will be Ooh, that's it. So you can put anything on the billboards. Anything. anything. Wow. My initial reaction would just be, don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to be an asshole. That's <laughs> and with a smile face. <laughs> yeah. Please. Actually, okay. Here's, here's one I saw uh, on someone graffitied somewhere um, on, a, on a construction uh and it was just simply are you helping or are you hurting and i think that was a that's a really yeah. nice that's what i wouldn't go with the asshole thing i would go with that one <laughs> <laughs> are you helping or are you hurting i think that's that that would be a, a simple way because um you know i think you have to question we we do live in a world where i think the un just came out this week saying that we're kind of almost past the, we've got like the, the warning flag that the yeah. environment is getting to a point of no return. Is what you're doing truly helping or is it hurting right now? Especially when you look at how many intelligent people are being absorbed by the finance industry, the, the law yes. industry. And, you know, not that these things are, are super evil, uh, but <laughs> they, could be, they could be going to work for, for firms where you're actually uh, making a huge difference in the world. Um, so yeah, that's what I'll go with the, um, are you helping or are you hurting? I love it, man. I love it. Hey, Oli, it was a pleasure to talk with you. I spent a really good time talking with you. And for all that are listening, please go to all the Instagram, all the channels. Um, he is now uh, almost a YouTuber, so support him. <laughs> And the one that are not subscribed to this to this podcast, come on. If you come to this end, we are almost friends. So let's join to, to the community. Thank you very much for listening. There you go. Thanks for having me. Make sure to like and subscribe to this channel <laughs> as well. <laughs> and uh, no, it's great. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying your podcast. I'm excited to see your channel continue to grow. We'll do another one. For when sure. you get to like, uh, and next time we'll see, you'll have thousands sure. of subscribers, I'm sure. Bye-bye.